Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership. Today, we are very happy and pleased to have Chris Daggett, the independent candidate for the state of New Jersey's governor's office. He is our in-studio guest today. Chris, thank you for coming today. Darrell, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You know, we really appreciate you interrupting your very busy schedule, and you have a very exciting campaign. You're getting a lot of interest, and as we read, you're winning all of the debates. Can you tell us why that's happening? Well, I don't know. Uh, I guess partly because I'm the only one that actually has a plan that I've laid out to address the problems that face the state. I can't seem to get either of my opponents to come up with a specific plan. As you know, I've laid out in some great detail, and I think we'll probably go through that during the next uh, half hour. But uh, that's been a factor. And then uh, a couple times, I guess I was lucky in thinking on my feet. And so I got a couple of good lines in occasionally. But uh, it's really not about good lines. It's about leadership. And it's about who's got the best plan to lead this state board. And I think people are beginning to see that. And it's resonating. And that helped me win the debates. Every week, we focus on the best practices of leadership and the challenges of being a leader. Considering the challenges in New Jersey leadership among our legislature, it is very important that we work through these tough issues. Considering all of the challenges in the state of New Jersey, can you tell our audience about your leadership style and why it will benefit the state of New Jersey? Sure. I, my leadership style has always been one that's based first on being collaborative, and by being collaborative and inclusive, meaning identify all the stakeholders associated with a particular issue that you're dealing with, uh, do it in a collaborative way in that it's not about staking out positions and being against one another, but first, can we identify the facts? I've found, as many people do, that when you get in to an argument with somebody and you say, boy, I want to do this and they want to do that, and you get back and forth and you finally can't reach agreement, and you say, well, how are you operating? I mean, what facts are you using? And, and it turns out she didn't realize, but every the two people are operating on a completely different set of facts. So uh, I spend a lot of time making sure everybody has an agreement on the facts. Secondly, I feel strongly about getting the emotion out of an argument because a lot of issues we deal with have very strong feelings that they generate and strong emotions. And yet, if you're going to solve a problem, you, off, you need to try to take as much of that emotion out so that you can focus on, again, back to the facts, and then talk about how you can work together to solve the problem. And I find that when you can take the emotion out and when you can get the facts squared away, even people at opposite ends of the political spectrum find that they can figure out how to get a solution. So I spend a lot of time uh, on those issues as I try to take uh, uh, leadership of, uh, of an issue. When you look at the state of New Jersey um, with all of the issues that we currently have, um, where, is, where is it lacking in leadership in your opinion? It's lacking in leadership because people take too much time focused on the wrong things. They focus on party ideology or they spoke, focus on special interests. And I've said for quite some time that uh, one of the reasons I'm running for governor is because I believe that Republicans and Democrats have demonstrated an inability and an unwillingness to step up to and address the issues that face the state. And I think it's part of the fact that they just don't seem to be able to uh, work together and to do the kinds of things that are necessary uh, uh, to get these problems solved. So um, somehow uh, uh, we've got to overcome that. And that's why I'm, uh, again, that's one of the reasons I'm running. I have been a lifelong resident of the state of New Jersey, minus a few years I spent in Chicago and Los Angeles. And from being from Atlantic City, uh, corruption has always been in the public eye in regards to New Jersey. And 
it's now getting to an all-time high where New Jersey is really seen as the state of corruption. What will your administration do to correct this issue that we face here in the state? Two things. We have to stay vigilant about the corruption that occurs outside the law. When somebody breaks the law, we have to make sure that we have the proper uh, capabilities to enforce the law, to uh, make the necessary arrests, and to bring people to justice. But in New Jersey, the issue that I'm more concerned about, to be honest with you, is the corruption that occurs under the cover of law, meaning things that are so-called legal but you know are wrong and I know are wrong. Things where people are trying to game the system to become part of it. Uh, dual office holding, double dipping, pension padding, uh, <clears throat> or, or worse, the things that, and I've talked about this during the campaign, it bothers me a lot that, I, that I'm in a campaign with two candidates who have spoken a lot, uh, both Governor Corzine and Chris Christie have spoken a lot about being against pay to play. They want to restrict the ability of people to uh, use money in elections in a way that doesn't seem right. And they speak eloquently about that and hard about it, but then both of them do everything they can to circumvent those laws. And in particular, they have taken part in uh, efforts to go around the system where Governor Corzine and, and Chris Christie both have, have been involved in fundraisers that raise money for um, special interest groups outside the state that then in turn come into the state and use that money to run these terribly negative campaign ads against one another. And uh, it's, uh, and in particular, in Chris Christie's case, he's had his own brother donate $200,000 to Republican Governors Association in Washington, or Governor Corzine has worked uh, with Chris Christie and gotten other special interests to go to the Democratic Governors Association or the Republican Governors Association, Association, like the casino industry, which is barred in New Jersey, out of Atlantic City. They're barred yes. from participating mm -hmm. in New Jersey elections, and yet they contribute to these special interest groups nationally to come in turn and um, spend this money in New Jersey. And I look at it and say, if you are aiding and abetting that, as uh, candidates and helping raise that money, or you get your own family to donate the money as uh, Chris Christie has, you're, you're effectively going around the very system and the spirit of law here. So is it legal? Yes, it's very legal. But is it wrong? Yes, in the eyes of a lot of people it is. So first you got to lead by example, mm -hmm. and then you, got, you have to uh, put in place the kinds of laws and regulations that put as hard a, a clamp as possible on uh, the abuses of the system that occur too often. And that's what I say, again, it's, it's the corruption that occurs under the cover of law that is far more difficult to deal with and far more an issue in New Jersey than people who actually uh, occasionally break the law. So we need a very tough state attorney general, in your opinion. We do. Uh, and we, uh, we should make sure that that attorney general is given a clear signal that we want uh, him or her to carry out the law regardless of where it takes the person, regardless of political interests or special interests or whatever. And to be honest with you, for the most part, we've had those kinds of attorneys general in New Jersey. I have to say, I don't think we have a history as other states where we've had a problem with our attorney general uh, uh, or any of the attorneys general. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think that's as big a problem. Uh, but yes, we do need to have a tough attorney general. Let's talk about the state budget and the budget crisis that we currently have and the high property taxes. Um, you have clearly said that you have a plan that's going to address this issue. Can you share with the audience uh, what your plan is? Sure. My plan is first to balance out the tax system and make it fairer, more competitive, and more affordable. We right now have a heavy reliance in New Jersey on the property tax, and that property tax 
takes in about $24 billion, and the sum of the other three taxes, which are corporate income and sales, is only about $22.5 billion. So we have this great imbalance where we're relying too heavily on the property tax. So what I've proposed is first we're going to balance out the system by doing the following. We will provide a 25% tax cut to all homeowners in New Jersey to a maximum of $2,500. So if you're paying more than $10,000 a year in taxes, in property taxes, you'll only get that $2,500. But if you're paying less, you'll get a 25% cut. That includes a guarantee that if you're a senior citizen homeowner, you will get the full $2,500. We are going to cut the corporate tax by 25% on average, both for small businesses, which are the heart of our economy, as well as larger corporations. Um, and we are going to re, um, roll back the so-called temporary increase in the income tax that was, was put in place last year. And then finally, to pr prevent future budget, uh, I mean, uh, future cost increases on mm -hmm. the property tax side and future tax increases, we're going to put a hard cap on municipal and, and school district spending that says the following. If your community is unable to keep its costs below the, co the cost of living tied to the consumer price index, you're not going to get the property tax cut. And that's going to give voters a hammer, if you will, to make sure that they get their local officials to adhere to those budget caps because if they don't, they won't get the property tax cut. And if they don't, my guess is those local officials will be voted out of office. Now, the big question everybody asks is how are you going to pay for all that? And that's a fair question. And we're going to pay for it by uh, expanding the sales tax, not increasing it, but expanding it so that we include a number of services not now covered. When we first put in place the sales tax, it was on, it's a goods-based tax. Well, we've, ch we've changed to a service-based economy. And as a result, the sales tax has taken a declining amount of revenues each year um, relative to the overall tax revenues. So many states are starting to move in this direction of, of extending sales taxes to a wider range of services. And uh, we're going to do that where we continue to exempt all necessities, food, clothing, shelter, um, medical services, funeral services will still be exempt. Business-to-business -business transactions will be exempt, but business-to-personal will be covered, such as lawyers and architects and landscape engineers and, um, uh, and yes, even haircuts, as people have said. Um, so this is a tax that will be paid predominantly by people with a lot of uh, uh, or more disposable income, which is upper-middle income and upper-income people, but not exclusively so because some other uh, uh, moderate-middle income folks and others will pay tax on some things that they're doing. But the overall tax cut that they get with the property tax cut will more than offset the kind of additional taxes they'll pay so that overall the majority of people in New Jersey will see a very significant cut. And the important part is that it'll do the things that I mentioned. It'll make us more competitive with other states on our corporate taxes. It'll make us more affordable in terms of our property taxes. It'll balance out the system. And in the end, the most important thing is I we believe strongly, and, and we have, uh, from the studies that we've done, we believe this will happen, that we will not only save jobs but attract more jobs 
from out of state into New Jersey. So it's a, it's a bit of a long answer, but I appreciate the opportunity to explain it in some detail because in debates of, uh, you know, tell me your tax plan in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, it's very difficult to do that. Well, we're happy to provide this forum for you because we do find your plan to be quite interesting. Um, in regards to the loss of jobs, uh, as you know, the biotech center has moved away from New Jersey. It's in California. It's in Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan is trying to uh, revive its program. What are your thoughts about how do we do that here in New Jersey? How do uh, we get those jobs back? I like that question because I have a doctorate in education, and this is this playing right into uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. But first, uh, if I can just go back on that tax plan, I think if we implement the mm -hmm. tax plan, we do one of the big pieces of saving jobs in New Jersey and attracting mm -hmm. jobs. But the second piece that's very important is that we need to invest more in higher education in New Jersey. We are unfortunately the 50th of 50 states and the only state in the nation, 50 of 50 states in our investment in higher education in the last decade, and the only state in the last decade that is disinvested in higher education, meaning that we're putting fewer dollars in higher education today than we did in the year 2000. So what's happened as a result? A couple things. One is that our biotech centers, our other research institutions are leaving. We used to have Bell Labs and Sarnoff and, and um, uh, some great corporate research centers, and we still have them in pharmaceutical areas to some degree, but they've been leaving some because we don't make the investment in higher education, which means what happens? Some of our best and brightest, too many of our best and brightest, while some of them certainly stay because we have very fine institutions of higher education in New Jersey, but um, because we haven't invested, we don't have the dorm space, we don't have the academic space, we don't have the research labs. And why? The last time we had a higher education facilities bond issue in New Jersey was when I was in the Kane administration in 1988. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, that's a long time. And, and instead, what we've done is we've had our institutions of higher education go out and, and bond to build these dorm rooms and, and classroom space. And we've taken on something collectively like $3.8 billion in debt. And, and how is that being paid down? By higher fees, by higher tuition rates. And, and that isn't the best way to handle this. We ought to be making a clear investment so that not only do we um, attract the students because we have capacity. And by the way, the statistics are when your students leave the state, they never come back. People put down their roots where mm -hmm. they went to school, not where they grew up, uh, by and large. Obviously, it's not mm -hmm. 100%, but that's the statistical trend. Mm -hmm. So by investing in these facilities and investing in higher ed, we get the facilities, we attract the students, we start to attract um, the biotech, the nanotech, the green technology jobs. We should be leading the country in that, and part of that is developing better collaborative relationships between higher education institutions in New Jersey and industry like North Carolina does and some other states that really work hard at that collaborative relationship. When you do it, you attract new research centers, you attract the higher educated students, you attract jobs, and you attract innovation and new ideas, which means jobs that are the higher paying, high tech jobs. And that's the way that I think that it, we need to do it in it. And here at Seton Hall and other institutions, that's what we need to be doing more and more of. And, and to me, as I said, that's near and dear to my heart because I'm so uh, passionate about and, and have such a, a long uh, background in the education world. I, I have to agree with you. The company I work for, Colexus Technology, uh, we're uh, based in Columbia, South Carolina, across from the campus of University of South Carolina. And our CEO was giving uh, some uh, dollars to come to South Carolina. And when is the last time you heard an exciting new company being started in New Jersey? Not uh, not too often, to be honest with you. And look, it, it does happen. There's some some work going on, but 
Um, but we ought to be doing things like uh, we ought to be leading the nation in electric car research. We have a very densely populated state, and we have people that with a battery charge now, you can get a couple hundred miles on a car. That's more than most people travel in a day. So why wouldn't we be leading the nation in research, development, and manufacturing of electric cars? Uh, but again, it's making that commitment to it, making that investment that we haven't made. You know, as I uh, ride the rails down to Washington, D.C. on business, and I come back, I, I go through Trenton, and I see all of these empty warehouses. Why not repurpose those warehouses Absolutely. To, to have new green jobs, new that's technology, as you're talking exactly about? Exactly what we are doing. That's linked to the whole world of brownfields development, where we have abandoned f places that have some contamination. We ought to be doing everything we can to spur that kind of development and reuse of properties that are now in uh, uh, fallen into disuse or no use. Sounds like you have a lot of thoughts about that, and I I, I, hope I do that, indeed. I hope you're successful, and we can see these plans implemented. Thank you. Um, let's talk about your potential cabinet. Okay. Um, you win, and it's January. Um, Who is your first pick for your cabinet, and why? My pick is going to be focused on something that. Republicans and Democrats can't do, and that is, as an independent, this has been an incredibly freeing process. I don't have to worry about party ideology or special interests or the next election. All that I care about is finding the people who are best suited and best trained and can best lead this state in the individual departments. I didn't care. I couldn't care less about party ideology. So I'll find Republicans and Democrats and independents with one mission: How can we best improve this? conditions and the state of New Jersey. That's what I want. I want a commitment to public service. I want a commitment to uh, ethical standards. I want a commitment to work hard. I want a commitment to work collaboratively. I want to be able to do the sorts of things that we all know are important in good leadership. And I get to do that in a way that nobody else can. So my focus is on not even having to ask questions about um, about where your party is or, or what your special interest is. I want to know, are you ready to lead the department in this state of New Jersey? So I'm going to have fun doing that. Something you said really struck me, and I wrote it down, which I don't think the state currently has or has had for a long time, and that is a mission. That's a very interesting point. Uh, we come across as not having a mission, and our mission should be uh, oriented toward high quality of life, good jobs that are that are not just menial jobs. I mean, obviously, some menial jobs have to be done, and there's a role for that. Um, and uh, that, uh, and people who do those jobs are some of the best and hardest working people we know. But we also need to have a mix where we bring in the high-tech jobs. And so we ought to have a commitment to the higher education that I talked about. We ought to have a commitment to getting our tax system fair so that we don't have to have people living in the eastern part of Pennsylvania in order to uh, come to New Jersey to work. So overall, um, we need to do what we can to continue to invest uh, and to continue to make that commitment in a mission that says, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to make this state the shining light that it once was and still can be because we have this incredibly diverse population, ethnically, racially, socially, economically, uh, natural resource diversity, um, arts, culture. We have an incredible state. It is one of the best states in the nation by far, and yet we're driving people out of here. Talk to senior citizens or talk to people who say, I just can't wait till my kids graduate from college or I get uh, my... Uh, 
uh, to retirement. I'm leaving New Jersey because I can't afford it. And, and they don't want to leave. They'd rather be here because of all the greatness of this state. We've got to have a mission to restore it to that greatness. Along with that mission comes a strategy and comes the tactics. And I think that's what we're, we're lacking here. We and, are. And it sounds like uh, you're ready to put forth a mission. I am indeed. Let's talk about um, the municipalities. Oh, the number yes, of them, our favorite topic in and, New Jersey. And the number of school districts. Now, we have seen corporate America go through many restructurings. Uh, people call it downsizing, right-sizing. But you have to, in order to adapt to your environment, you, you have to change. But government hasn't. And sure hasn't. I look at South Orange and Maplewood, where I'm a resident, and um, our school districts are aligned. But yet, our municipalities aren't aligned. Now, I know some of my friends in South Orange are going to uh, uh, shoot me for saying this, but <laughs> it might make sense for the two municipalities to have one fire department and one police department uh, get better coverage and uh, at a lower cost. What are your thoughts about uh, merging municipalities? Well, I'm maybe going to surprise you, but um, I'm one of the people that has said repeatedly in the campaign, I'm not going to fight that fight. And let me tell you why. Uh, when I first started in public life in New Jersey, it was 1977. There were 567 municipalities. In the 32 years since I've been doing, being involved, I've seen this debate go on and on and on. The late Alan Karcher, who was a very well-respected legislator from Sayreville, um, wrote a book called Multiple Municipal Madness about this whole issue. And after 32 years, we went from 567 municipalities to 566. We got two towns to merge. And yet we talked about it for years, and we did all kinds of things to convince people. So let's say that I could fight the fight, and I could get 50 more towns to consolidate, which I think if I were to do that, I'd be a bloody mess on the floor from the political battles. And I would have knocked down 25 towns because 50 merging to 25. So I'd go from 566 to 541. First of all, I'm not convinced we'd have that much cost saving because even with consolidation, all kinds of things that are interesting happen. Like when you consolidate police departments, the one police department with the best benefits is where everybody goes to. So right away, the town that <clears throat> doesn't have them is paying more. So I'm not convinced that we have that many cost savings. But here's what's important. We need to do a couple of things. We need to first deal with shared services, the things that you talked about. We could share fire departments or share snow plowing between the county and the municipality or share um, uh, police dispatchers so that we have one county dispatcher instead of one in every community. We could do those kinds of things and we ought to encourage it and that will save some money, but not enough to close an $8 billion budget gap, mind you, that we're facing next year, but it will go away and uh, go a long way toward doing some of that. We need to encourage that. But most people, when given an opportunity, don't want to consolidate. The best example I can give you is in school districts, where when the new legislation that consolidates school districts says if you don't have a school in your school district, you must consolidate. But in addition to that, there's this study going on of other schools, and they're trying to see which schools should merge. But they have a poison pill in it. And the poison pill is, in order for it to take effect, if you decide they ought to merge, every community that is supposed to merge into that district has to vote to do it. And I'll bet you today, and I'll bet you tomorrow too, that there aren't, there's one town in New Jersey where the people will vote to do that because people still want their own town. So what I'd rather do is both work on, on shared services and then the most important thing, which is the real costs of government are not in the 
the salaries or the, or the number of people in the department. That's the operating side. All the money in New Jersey is in five areas, Medicaid, aid to municipalities, aid to education, and then the health care and pen- pension benefits of public employees. And by that, I mean school teachers, municipal, county, and state employees. That's where the costs are. That's about 80% of the state budget. So I'd rather spend my time trying to figure out how to reduce those costs than if I'm a bloody mess at the end from the fights, I've at least lowered costs. And I've made it a, 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 a more affordable state and a state that's living more within its means because right now our, our governments are not living within their means. And so that's the approach I'd take rather than try to fight this consolidation fight that after 32 years of little to no success, um, I'm not convinced it'll do anything. Speaking about um, costs, folks who hold dual offices, uh, you can be a state senator and you can be a uh, mayor of a, of a town. What do you think of that uh, Ended immediately. We ended it, but we had a grandfathering clause in it that mm-hmm. says the people who are already holding two positions can continue to do so. My feeling is let's end it immediately and make them make a choice. Let's talk about crime. Uh, crime is doing a little bit better this year, but still violent crime is up, is uh, still up in New Jersey, uh, in Newark and Camden and, and other areas of Atlantic City where I was born and raised. What are your thoughts about crime and what is your plan to address the issue of the, the violent crime? It, it's interesting. We certainly have to continue to be vigilant again uh, and go after people who are uh, have uh, committed some crime. Uh, we have to make sure we have the adequate police protection, the adequate detective work, and all that sort of thing. Um, But the best thing we can do to lower crime is give every kid a good education, which means it starts in every town making sure that our kids are in school, working hard, and getting an education. Because too often, and this is the worst part about education at the K-12 level, is that we are we have a number of our high schools where the dropout rate well exceeds 50% in particularly our urban areas. So what happens when they drop out? They can't get a job. Then they don't know what to do with themselves. And before you know it, they're turning to crime. And the next thing you know is they've broken the law and then, or they get involved in drugs or whatever it is. And then it begins. And then we create this training ground by putting them in, in, in prison where they learn more about crime. It's a vicious cycle. So for me, it starts with education. Then we need to do things like more com- community police work. We ought to be having community policing and start to figure out how we can develop the kinds of anti-drug programs and uh, anti-crime programs within our schools and within the streets and develop neighborhood uh, watch groups and develop all the sorts of things that make citizens participate and be vigilant. Uh, So those are the two biggest things for me, but it all starts with education and not letting one kid slip through the system without getting an education. Um, No matter how hard that is, no matter how much effort we have to do, whether it's expanding charter schools and giving more kids a choice, whether it is um, uh, trying to figure out how to replicate the good urban schools because there's some really good ones, and we ought to say, well, why are they going, what is it that they're doing right, and why can't we figure out how to take this school that's not doing so well and copy what's been going on in the other? And, And if we can't get there, let's expand charters, but let's make sure that not one kid slips through the system so that, and my guess is that will do more toward lowering crime than almost anything else we could do. As they say, if you can provide a a man a a fishing pole and teach him how to fish, he'll fish for a lifetime. Uh, Judy Estrin, she's the author of The Technology Gap. 
Uh, she's outlined a plan of action that focuses on K-12 education programs, focus on the sciences. Uh, we've talked a little bit about your views on education and the importance of that. Specifically in regards to New Jersey, with K-12 through providing education, uh, what about the transition from K-12 to to affordability to go to college? What type of programs have you given thought to um, that you might that, that you thought you might want to implement that might help someone afford a college education? Well, the uh, best thing we can do first is invest more in higher education. Uh, and it's clear we've done a better job and be, we've been giving kids more student aid. But the problem is it's barely keeping up with the increase in costs and fees uh, and uh, uh, as well as the uh, uh, tuition. And so back to my original point earlier, we've got to invest more in higher education. We've got to um, put more money into the programs and schools so that maybe we can keep some of these tuition costs down and keep some of the fees down. Uh, and then we have to continue to give student aid where we can. But overall, uh, in, and, and we have to promote our community colleges more. I mean, our community colleges have done an outstanding job of preparing kids either for uh, transition to a four-year institution or for those kids who just want to get a, some training and go into the workforce. Our community colleges are doing well, and we've got to continue. In fact, their enrollment has surged this year. I mean, it is so high. And we have to make sure that given that, that we're able to respond to those needs because that's a fairly low-cost education on a you know, dollar-for-dollar basis. It's a, it's a good bargain to go to a community college in New Jersey. So we've got to focus on the community colleges as well as the higher education institutions, so, I mean the, uh, the uh, four-year institutions. And then uh, from there you can set up some uh, incubators where folks can migrate from the uh, college campus into a startup incubator where they could uh, foster some new ideas. What are you doing after I win the election? You want to help me out? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Um, is there any other points you'd like to share with our audience that you would like to stress that during the debate that you didn't get an opportunity to do within the two minutes? That they uh, nothing more than uh, I've lived this in this state all my life. Uh, I am deeply committed to this state. I believe that uh, I don't want to quit on this state. I believe that uh, too many people are quitting because they can't afford it. They say that they can't wait till their kids graduate from college or they... Uh, retire because they want to leave. They can't. They just can't afford to be here. And I decided not to quit. And I decided to run for office. Uh, and I am deeply committed to this effort. I believe strongly that the power of ideas ultimately will trump the power of money, which is why I've taken the risk of putting out the detailed plans I have, while my opponents have put forward nothing. Uh, and you can see those. I mean, you can go on my website at DaggerfordGovernor.com and you can see uh, the points that I've made. And you can also, uh, actually, if you're interested in that property tax cut plan, we've put on a property tax cut calculator and you can go in and punch in your uh, uh, town. And from that, you can calculate what kind of tax savings you're going to have from our program. So it's um, a great tool. I've used it. <laughs> oh, you have? Oh, good. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I, and I want people to do that because in the end, they can see that we're serious about it, and and I have just an, an enormous commitment to this state, and, and that's why I'm running. It's the only reason I'm running. Uh, I believe in this state, and I want to help restore it to the greatness that uh, we all know it can, it can have. Mr. Daggett, I want to thank you for your time today. We are here in our studio with candidate Chris Daggett for the state of New Jersey governor's office. The election is on November 3rd. 3rd. Uh, please get out and vote. 
Uh, it should be noted that both uh, Governor Corazine's campaign rejected to uh, come on the show, and Governor Christie's, uh, excuse me, uh, candidate Christie uh, never replied to our request. So we're very appreciative of you coming in to spend some time and share your views about how you can make New Jersey better. Thanks, Darrell. I really appreciate the opportunity. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM radio station at Seton Hall University. Have a great day.